Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we've got something old and something brand new. I'm Jeff Braun. I saw the Russell Crowe Road Rage movie unhinged, but where Brett went, he didn't need roads. He saw Back to the Future on the big screen. And this week I got my reality TV fix and my nerd fix with the world's toughest race and something new from the Transformers. So for the first time since early March, I watched a new movie in the theater this week, the Russell Crowe movie, Unhinged. You know what a courtesy tap is, young man? I'm sure that's what your mom meant. No, it's not. Well, I'm sorry. If you could just apologize. I don't have anything to apologize for. That's where we are in this world today. You seem to have developed an inability to apologize to anyone for anything. You're gonna learn. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. Unhinged. Unhinged opened in Canada last weekend, along with the new SpongeBob SquarePants movie, the first new movies to come out since the pandemic began. Now, it's hard to gauge the success, though, because Unhinged has not yet opened wide in the U.S. I believe that happens this weekend. It made over $600,000 in Canada, which extrapolating to the States would be about $6 million, since they have about 10 times the population. And, of course, you have to factor in the fact that they're putting it on a lot of screens, but only selling about a third of the tickets in each screening room. Uh, I did notice there were more people at the screening of Unhinged that I went to than any of the Jaws or Lord of the Rings screenings I've gone to in the last couple of weeks. Now, the thriller is being marketed as a road rage movie, and it's not. Not really. There is an inciting road rage incident near the beginning, but it'd be like calling Saving Private Ryan a beach movie. Russell Crowe plays this character, simply called Man in the credits, and the very first scene is of him murdering people in a home. So a few hours later, when this unsuspecting mother driving her kid to school honks at him and he gets upset, he was already very upset and he was already not at all stable. It's not the kind of road rage we think about when we think about road rage. This is a murderer in society who's already off killing people who just happens to be in his truck when she honks. Now there's a scene with the mom and the kid and some of the other family prior to that where we get their backstory a bit and the movie does a lot of very clunky setup that will pay off down the line and you can just check stuff off as the characters are saying it because you know it'll come back. I laughed a couple of times at things like, hey mom, why don't you need a password to open your phone? That kind of stuff. And yes, as it turns out, a lot of headaches may have been avoided had she had some sort of password protection on her phone. So she's having a bad day. She loses patience with Crow at a stoplight, honks at him, which further sets him off and he decides to focus on the mom and terrorize her for the rest of the movie. Some of it is car chases, most of it is not. Most of it, frankly, is brutal violence. I had to look away a lot during this movie. It's pretty gross and unsettling. Crow is just a monster. If the movie were better, he might be a Hall of Fame bad guy. He is that convincing in this movie. He is already a big guy in real life, and then they give him sort of a, a fat suit to add some girth to him. He, he's a behemoth, not a muscly one, but an imposing figure to be sure. Brett, he throws people around with the ease of Jason in the Friday the 13th movies, where he could just like pick a guy up and toss him across the room without breaking a sweat. The other thing he has in common with Jason is that while he's a big lumbering presence on screen, off screen he can 
somehow move very swiftly and quietly, appearing <laughs> out of nowhere to the great surprise of everyone else. That used but... to drive me insane on Friday the 13th because people would be running, like breakneck, running, full out run. running. Yeah. And Jason's just walking. And then they round the corner and there he is. Like, yeah, what, just, what, what do you teleport? <laughs> I don't know. I remember being a little kid in my house and I couldn't walk on the staircase in the house without everyone waking up because the stairs would squeak, right? So what he's doing in a house is just physically impossible. I don't know. Uh, there's a, it's a weird contrast because, you know, I've, there's obvious the movie Chicanery that comes with all that. But his performance and the violence otherwise feel very real, like uncomfortably so. The movie makes you appreciate the balance that other movies achieve because there is a line between having, you know, a believable, menacing bad guy who's fun to watch, like a Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, uh, and this where it's believable and menacing, but it lacks the fun. There's no lightness to it. It's just dark and it's unrelenting like that. There also aren't any, like, funny kills like you'd get in a, well, in a Friday the 13th movie. It's all just so serious and uh, it's just dark and depressing, really. So that and the general clunkiness of the plot are kind of the big knocks against Unhinged. You can just see all the strings being pulled at every moment through this movie. People only talk to relay information that will service the plot down the road, that sort of thing. I will say, though, the movie moves very fast. It's a short movie, only 90 minutes anyways. But when it got to the end, I was shocked that it was already over. I mean, it sort of has to be a short movie because it's just him trying to terrorize the mom, which would quickly overstay it's welcome if there's nothing else going on but i couldn't believe it i thought oh we're only like 45 minutes in and then what was clearly the climax was happening i was like what are you kidding is this the end of it it zips by quickly and uh it, i didn't have a lot of time to linger on the things i didn't like because was, was before i knew it they'd just be on to something else so some of the action's actually pretty good too and there were a few fun surprises along the way overall though not a great movie despite a very convincing turn from russell crowe who was not done a lot of movies worth watching of late. I wouldn't recommend spending your hard-earned money on this one as much as uh, I you know, want movie theaters to have business. Maybe wait for it to stream somewhere for free down the road. Two and a half cushions out of five for Unhinged. All right. I was uh, looking forward to seeing that, but I'm just looking mm. at the Rotten Tomatoes rating because, indeed, it does come out in the United States this weekend. It's at 48%. On Rotten Tomatoes, uh, one quick synopsis from the New York Times, a psycho killer story that will leave you feeling as beat down as ah. its casualties. Uh, that yep. was a negative review, but from the Sydney Morning Herald, a positive review, Crow summons up such an abundance of raw energy and concentrated fury that he's truly oh. terrifying. It's far from being great filmmaking, but if you have a, vi a vicarious taste for orchestrated chaos... This is the movie. So I think those two little headlines yeah. kind of snapshot uh, exactly what you said. I mean, it sounds like a brutal, violent, crazy movie with a good performance with, from Crow that could be better. Uh, but I'm still curious. I, I want to see his performance at the very least, especially after what you've said. And, of course, you know, the Sydney paper gives him a good review because he's an Australian guy. Uh, Anyways. Yes, yes. So Unhinged and the SpongeBob movie, like I said, opened last week and took up almost all the screens at the theaters. Um, this week, no major new releases, although there's a new Canadian romantic comedy called I Propose We Never See Each Other Again After Tonight. Good title. Opening in some places, it looks like that could be funny. It'll certainly be less violent than Unhinged. And some old classics are being put back in. I still need Lord of the Rings 3 to 
come into theaters again because I've seen the first two in the last few weeks. Yep. Uh, I do notice some area theaters are running both of the newest Spider-Man movies, so it probably can vary from chain to chain and from city to city, so you want to check your local listings. You never know what might be playing in your local theater these days. That's right, and the in- Inception 10th anniversary is still playing uh, beyond this week. I thought it was only going to be one week, and I missed the window on that, but I may yet have a chance to watch that before Tenet, the next Christopher Nolan movie, hopefully comes out on August 27th. But I did get to the movies uh, and see another classic film. As you mentioned off the top, I went to see this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? That's right, I went to see Back to the Future, and why don't we press pause here and we'll tell you more about that, because the hook isn't that I went to see Back to the Future, it's that I went to see it with someone who has never seen it. So I'll tell you what they think if the movie holds up all these years later. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. As Jeff mentioned moments ago, movie theaters, since they have reopened in parts, they have been playing a lot of classic films like Jaws, Jurassic Park, the Lord of the Rings movies, the Star Wars movies. There are a couple of... They've got grown-ups in one theater I saw. I don't know. <laughs> when you go from Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Jurassic Park, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then Adam Sandler and grown-ups... Uh, they really yeah, do dig deep there. But one of the classic films that was in theaters, and I got I saw it the day before they pulled it. I saw it last Thursday. I saw Back to the Future. So that was great for me because I had never seen it on a big screen. I'm sure I've seen the movie at, at least 50 times, if not 100 times. I don't know how many times I've seen Back to the Future over the years. I mean, it came out in 1985, but... The person I took, this 25-year-old, she has never seen it. And she actually was the one who picked it. I said, hey, you want to go see a movie? And she said, sure. Uh, How about Back to the Future? I've never seen it. And I thought, I like the way you think. But I was very curious to know what someone who had never seen it, particularly a younger person, I'm 42 years old, I was wondering what would she think of this movie? And I'm happy to report that some things, Jeff, are simply timeless she loved it she and she made some like really insightful observations as well it wasn't just yeah that was great it was fun she said i really enjoyed the score and i liked that she pointed that out because as i was watching the movie because i was watching it on a big screen it felt like i was watching it almost for the first time and i was appreciating i think some things that i had maybe forgotten about like the score it's just such a classic it it's and it's like over the top, right? It's uh, almost cheesy at times, but it works so well because it, it's a movie that takes itself seriously and it is serious, but yet it's fun. And I think that over the top orchestra just adds so much character. So the, the music in itself is like a character, but uh, she oh. very much enjoyed it. And what's also funny is there were four people in the theater. They had us all in the back row and it was me and this girl who had never seen it. And then another guy who with, I think, his daughter. And at the end of the movie, I gathered she had never seen it because she was saying the same thing. Oh, I loved it. Thanks for taking me. That was great. So it was kind of cool to hear two guys 
chuckling at certain things as they were in anticipation. Like I was laughing just in anticipation of what was coming. And I heard this guy do the same thing. And then these girls would laugh at stuff after it happened. So, but yeah, Back to the Future, it still holds up in the eyes of someone who has never seen it. That's awesome. Uh, just on the score thing, it's from uh, the guy's name is Alan Silvestri, who did the score. He also did Forrest Gump, so uh, he works with that director a lot, Robert Zemeckis. And he's pretty underrated. I mean, you know, John Williams gets all the headlines and Hans Zimmer and some of these other guys, but Silvestri also did the Avengers score. So oh. he, he's got a couple of really good ones out there that are, that just, you know, if it wasn't for John Williams, he might be like, one of the number one guys you think of when you think of the movie score. Yeah, that's true. But that's right. I knew I knew the name because I, I knew that it was Alan Silvestri who did Back to the Future. And I was trying to remember what else. He, I know he's done something else really big that I enjoy. Yeah. The Avengers. Back to the Future on the big screen. That's great. A classic film from the 1980s. What is the deal with another classic that you're about to point out? Oof. From the bad idea department, Brett, Hollywood has decided to remake a classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Hey, what's going on? Some joker wants to race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way! Oh, he's drunk! How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you, thanks a lot. <laughs> what a moron. Yeah, they're driving on the wrong side of the highway, as it turns out, with a couple of semis bearing down on them, so they are going the wrong way. That's all. Oh. Him going, oh, he's probably drunk. How do you know where we're going? That's my favorite moment in that whole movie. <laughs> now the original from the 80s, of course, starred Steve Martin and John Candy, who we heard there. It's a beloved favorite of many, an odd couple road movie that'll have you busting a gut and wiping a tear from your eye. So now this remake is coming. They announced it this week, starring Will Smith and Kevin Hart. It's still in the planning stages. There's no release date or anything. I assume Will Smith will play the Steve Martin part as the uptight put-upon traveler trying to get home for Thanksgiving, and Hart will be the well-intentioned but obnoxious obstacle that keeps getting in his way. The tricky thing is, I want to see an odd couple road movie starring Will Smith and Kevin Hart. I want that very much. Just don't call it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Why set yourself up for the inevitable comparison, which this new movie won't win, even if it is good, because the original is a masterpiece. Hollywood does this stuff trying to capitalize on the name recognition from the titles, and I don't know how often it works. Like that remake of Point Break a couple years ago, that might be a decent movie, but it was written off by most people without being seen, simply because of everyone's fondness for the original. You just can't do this with beloved movies. You can do it with... Something like Ocean's Eleven, where some people may remember the original, but almost nobody's, you know, heralding it as a beloved favorite or anything. So, yeah, I'm all in for the bickering banter between the Fresh Prince and Kevin Hart, but it's just a bad move to call it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Brett. I don't know. What do you think? I couldn't agree with you more on that. I understand why they want to use these old titles, and because then they've already got the story, really. They just need to change a couple of things, and... And it's new people playing, putting a new yeah. spin on a classic story. And there's nothing wrong with readapting a familiar story. I mean, take a, any book that's been adapted 
yeah. dozens of times. We've seen how many versions of Ebenezer Scrooge on the big screen or on the small screen. Little Whatever. women. Yeah, Little Women gets seems to get released every year uh, in the last decade. But in a, in, a, in a case like this, I just, I don't know. It's almost too specific. I think if it's like a literary classic, something that's been around for decades and decades or hundreds of years, fine. But if it's you're picking a movie from the 1980s, I think it's too early to remake it. I agree. I would love to see Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Uh, I think that would be fun. And I would like to see Will Smith do something good again. But <laughs> and funny again. Yeah, I miss funny Will Smith. So I, I'm just yeah. not cool with this. So we'll wait and see how it turns out. Maybe uh, some cooler heads will prevail and they'll just... Uh, oh, actually, we're going to change it a bit and we're not going to call it that and blah, blah, blah. But who knows? We'll see. But that's the uh, plan for now that somewhere down the line... We get a Fresh Prince and Kevin Hart in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that dumbass smile off your rosy cheeks. Up next, we are going to head to Fiji and Cybertron. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. I started watching something on Prime Video this week. That's the Amazon service. And as you know, the Couch Potatoes are huge fans of Survivor. I'm still a big fan of The Amazing Race. But the show that is considered to be the one that actually kicked off the entire modern reality TV era is Eco Challenge. And it's back! World's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji. Sixty-six teams from 30 different countries have descended on Fiji. I have no clue what to be afraid of. I'm about to find out. To compete in the world's toughest race. The course is relentless, so every step is a victory. We came here to show the world who we are. To make sure that those people who feel underrepresented feel that they have a voice. I am a tough chick. And I'm proud of that. I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. To do this race with my dad is a priceless experience. <laughs> we wanted to prove that the girls in India are strong and they can achieve anything. Eco Challenge was created by Mark Burnett. He's the guy behind shows like Survivor, The Apprentice, The Contender. Remember The Contender, Jeff, and how disappointing that finale was? That Was that the boxing one with uh, Stallone? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I vaguely I remember enjoying most of it. I don't remember the finale. Yeah. Well, the first season was tremendous, but then they did a live finale. It was a, they had a, it was a live boxing match, and oh. they they were trying to they they got the guy. I can't remember his name, but he calls all the big fights. But Stallone was on. He was part of the commentary, and he wasn't offering commentary. He just kept interrupting to do oh, uh, <laughs> eh. and you could you could tell the the announcer was getting so mad. It was brutal, was just fun. brutal. But uh, yeah, shows like Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Apparently, Shark Tank, The Voice, and many more. So he created the Eco Challenge back in 90, 1992, but then it, for the first televised version was in 1995. It was just a 45-minute feature on MTV before moving to the Discovery Channel in 96, where the production expanded. It then ended up on USA Network for three years, from 2000 to 2002, and uh, USA did not renew it after 2002, and it's been gone ever since. So this new series is 10 episodes, about an hour each. I've only watched the first two episodes, partly because 
I am exhausted just watching it. This is not a normal adventure race. 671 kilometers, mountains. I don't mind climbing, I mind dying. Jungles. I need help. Rivers. Ocean. Four hours of sleep in four days. And it is brutal. So hard. It's the first event to race that they have the feeling of arriving to a limit. We can handle anything that comes. Because we're in it together. This is the closest we ever get to being superheroes. But that's still going. It's a real testament to grit. <laughs> How long has he been like this? His conscious level is impaired. Ah! 66 teams, four of them are from Canada, but teams come from around the world for this race. As I mentioned, I'm only two episodes in, but in these first two episodes, they have to paddle through a river system in these tippy boats that like three or four teams bailed out immediately, including the front running, the favorite team tipped over within 30 seconds. And then they have to paddle way out on like 30 kilometers out on the ocean to an Island where they then have to climb their way through the jungle and then stand on a paddleboard and make their way back to the checkpoint through a, uh, uh, twisty, turny river system, and then they have to get back in the boat and paddle out to another spot and get on a bike and ride and ride and ride. They almost never stop. As you heard, four hours of sleep in four days. It is insane. And there's one guy on one of the front runner teams, a team from the U.S. He's a big guy, and his teammates describe him as the horse of the team. But he worked himself so hard in just paddling in that first 30 kilometer paddle that he overheated and they basically had to drag him through the jungle for I think a couple of days. Like he was down and out for a long time. The race is intense, but because there are 66 teams, a lot of the first two episodes so far has just been getting to know the teams, what they're about, learning their stories. And they, they've kind of singled out a handful of teams that they keep revisiting. And while that's cool, I don't, really care that much <laughs> i just want to see more of the race and how nuts it is but host bear grills says after the first leg they were just getting warmed up plus they it's not so much like uh the last team to arrive gets voted out or anything like that it's just they have to make a, a checkpoint by a certain time and if they don't make it then those teams are gone so i assume that as with each uh, couple of episodes the the 66 team field is just going to be weeded down or whittled down to I don't know how, how I almost made the mistake I went to Wikipedia to look for information on world's toughest race and eco challenge and of course they've already got the full leaderboard up because the show just it came out this past weekend on Prime Video so don't do that if you if you actually want to oh, see yeah. who wins this but is this something do you have Prime I can't remember I don't have Prime not right now no it's it does sound interesting but it does sound exhausting to watch. I don't know that I could even sit and watch all of those episodes. I'd be, uh, I'd miss the checkpoint after the first episode, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't able to. I tried to to just binge a couple of episodes, and I couldn't. I had to turn it off halfway through the second one because, partly because it was exhausting watching these people do it, but partly because it is very formulaic reality TV. 
it's overproduced, but it looks great. I mean, the scenery is tremendous and the adventure is really cool. So if you're looking to fill a reality TV gap, you might want to try World's Toughest Race Eco Challenge Fiji on Prime Video. If you're more of a don't want to do reality TV, but you want something geeky. I've been off for the last couple of weeks, so I've been watching more stuff. And one of the things that I checked out, super geeky, but hey, there are a ton of fans out there, both young and old, of the Transformers. And Netflix debuted something new called War for Cybertron. I have done what I have to do to end this war. not familiar with the Transformers. They've been around since the 1980s. Robots from a planet called Cybertron. There are the good guys, the Autobots, led by Optimus Prime. The bad guys are the Decepticons. The Decepticons, I say, led by Megatron. They can all transform into different shapes, usually vehicles. Optimus Prime, for example, turns into a big semi-truck. In the 80s, their war led them to Earth, and that's where most of their stories have been told. This anime series is the first part of a trilogy. This installment is called Siege. Six episodes, 25 minutes each. It is a quick binge. It's all CG animation. It's basically a reimagined version of the Transformers story. It portrays the civil war between the Autobots and Decepticons, which that war all but destroys Cybertron and leaves it in ruins. And this series is entirely set on Cybertron so far. And both sides are after something that could turn the tide for either side. I cannot help but ask myself, is this a hopeless crusade? Have my actions led to the extinction of our people? The Allspark is a vessel of life in the hands of Megatron. There's no telling what he might do. The Allspark. Yes. A clean and decisive victory. You got the touch! The Allspark. So this picks up on stuff from various elements of the Transformers story over the years. I was a kid when the Transformers first arrived, and I don't remember anything being mentioned about an Allspark until that first Michael Bay movie. But I'm no Transformers expert either, so maybe there's an Allspark in the comics or on one of the many other cartoons over the years. There's also a lot of talk of Energon on this. That's their fuel. Keeps them alive, keeps their ships working. It fuels everything. And a lot of people were upset that there was no mention of Energon in that first Michael Bay movie. This series is a lot more grim than the Transformers I grew up with. It's definitely not for the littlest kids out there because it does get pretty violent and scary at times. But I think it was, it was great. It's got tremendous animation, super colorful and vibrant. Great reimagining of the story where they rework some of the classic characters to freshen them up. Not the best vocal work. I found the performance is kind of boring, in fact. But the guy doing the voice of Optimus Prime, Jake Fushi, 
Uh, he does an impressive impression of Peter Cullen, who was for so long the legendary voice of the great Autobot hero Optimus Prime. I like that it was darker, and the series ended. This installment of the series ended with a nice cliffhanger. It was cool to see they went with the original first-generation Transformers. Megatron, decisively stronger than Optimus Prime. He kind of put Prime to shame here, which really highlights just how dire things are for the Autobots. And like I said, nice cliffhanger. Eventually, it will lead to part two, Earthrise, where the Transformers will spread across the galaxy, of course, landing on Earth. Then there will be part three, Kingdom, where the Autobots and Decepticons will apparently join forces with their descendants, the Maximals and Predacons, as the fate of the Earth hangs in the balance. But uh, yeah, Jeff, if you're looking for... I can't remember. Do you like the Transformers at all? I loved the toys when I was a kid and the cartoon when I was a kid. Uh, I sort of half-heartedly enjoyed the first Michael Bay movie. And then the second one was so bad, I've just never been back to any of them since then. I did watch the... I, I started this. I saw it on the Netflix and I turned it on. But I can't remember. I got distracted or... I just wasn't in the mood for it, maybe, or something like that. I didn't get back. I only watched, like, two minutes and didn't get back to it. But it was intrigued to begin with, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I watched it all in one afternoon. It's like watching a two-and-a-half-hour movie, really. Uh, so it's, if you like the Transformers, highly recommended. Transformers War for Cybertron, part one of a trilogy. This one's called Siege. And eventually, probably in the next year or so, we'll see part two. Up next, Jeff Braun wants to tell you about Death on the Nile. Sound mysterious. Details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Brett, the first trailer came out this week for a movie that purports to be opening in October. It's the follow-up to Kenneth Branagh's Murder on the Orient Express. It's Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. The crime is murder. Should have hidden it, shouldn't you? The murderer is one of you. I don't feel safe here. I don't feel safe with any of them. It's too late to change events. It's time to face the consequences. I have investigated many crimes, but this has altered the shape of my soul. I am Detective Hercule Poirot, and I will deliver your killer. Great stories are tragedies. Now, this movie was teased at the end of The Murder on the Orient Express, which was a surprise hit from 2017. It raked in $350 million worldwide on a budget of $55 million, so the sequel was a no-brainer. It didn't wow the critics, but it was by no means a stinker. I can't remember exactly what rating I gave it, but I know I had a lot of fun watching it. Both Express and now Death on the Nile are based on Agatha Christie novels from the 30s, but as was the case with Little Women, I'm completely in the dark going into these movies. I've not been an avid reader as a grown-up, and it's finally paying off. Brannon not only directs, of course, he stars as Detective Poirot, a brilliant man with a ridiculous mustache. And while the last one was a murder on a train that needed solving, looks like this time it's a murder on a luxurious riverboat that needs solving. The all-star cast includes Annette Benning, Russell Brand, Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Sophie Okonedo, Jennifer Saunders, and Letitia Wright. Everyone likes a good mystery, and if the plan holds on, we will get to see Death on the Nile, October 23rd. I'll be buying tickets early for that one, Brent. I finally watched Oriented Express on, uh, I can't remember, I think I may have 
rented it on, or just not rented it, but streamed it off of Crave or yeah. something like that. Because I wanted to see it in theaters, but when it didn't get overwhelmingly good reviews, I kind of stayed away. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought it was okay. I, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. Uh, the great cast. Uh, yeah. I, th- I liked Brana as, as Hercule Poirot. Uh, and I, I look forward to seeing more. And I just, I like mystery movies. So I, I, I hope that they stick the landing a little better on this one because I would like to see a resurgence. You know, Knives Out was a fun mystery movie. Uh, so I'd like to see a resurgence of good old-fashioned mysteries. And geez, I mean, this, uh, what, I've already forgot her name, Agatha Christie, who wrote these books. She wrote like 20 books. There's a ton of movies they could make if they want to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So hopefully this one is good. I can't wait to see more of it, and hopefully it does hold to its October 23rd release date. Just want to quickly mention what is coming to streaming this weekend. No new movies in theaters, but we do have a couple of things to point out on Netflix. Season 5 of Lucifer debuts on Netflix. Uh, This will be its second last season, I believe. And then there's something else out on Netflix this weekend called Hoops, and it's, uh, it's an animated sitcom for grown-ups. Jake Johnson from New Girl is the protagonist. He's a high school basketball coach who decides he can escape his dead-end job by turning the school's nondescript team into a winner. And uh, looks like there's a lot of F-words in it, so I'm not entirely sure uh, how <laughs> F-wordy it's going to be, but that could be fun. And I just wanted to point this out as well on Crave, Jeff. If you have Crave, Groundhog Day is going to make its way to the Stars channel uh, that's part of the Crave Network. So you can watch Groundhog Day over and over and over right. again. Well, that's what you're meant to do with that movie. That's right. You probably own it on DVD <laughs> and Blu-ray and VHS. I don't. No. It's one of the ones where I just I search for it on cable sometimes, and if it pops up, I watch it. Wow. You don't own it? I can't believe it. Weird. I'm, I like, I've got a lot of movies I like like that. It's just more It's like uh, hearing your favorite song on the radio. It's more fun when a movie like that just pops up on TV. That's all the time we've got this week. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Couch Potatoes.